Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, if you have been in our church for some period of time, you may be surprised that we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, no, it is not a Mother's Day sermon, uh, but I recognize Mother's Day, and uh, we do want to commend all those who are mothers, um, because you do a job that we men could never do, Amen. Men did not say amen there, and I'm confused. Um, glad you're here, glad to be here. Um, we have stepped out of our study in Timothy that we've been in for several months because we've moved into the teaching over deacons, and as we work on installing that ministry into our church, um, because of the events of the past couple of weeks and this Sunday with all the stuff going on this past week with the city of Longview, and, uh, we just haven't been able, as an older body, to... Um, finalize how we're going to preach through deacons, so we uh, paused that for a moment, and I had been working on the study uh, in Ephesians, and so uh, we decided we could preach that this Sunday, and we will very quickly get back to deacons uh, and work through that teaching for our church, uh, because it's an important ministry for sure. So today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 7 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. And the holy inspired word of God given to Paul says this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we had boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart or what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Here's why. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the church would definitely want to say amen to that. I have told this story before, but it is worth repeating, because I like it. Uh, I grew up in the church, uh, came to know Christ as a 12-year-old, started teaching a Bible study when I was, or taught my first Sunday school class at 12. I went on to preach at 16, of which I have a copy of that sermon, of which you will never hear, because it is layered with horrible doctrine, but nevertheless, <laughs> it was a good attempt, um, ended up... Uh, going on staff at 19, uh, grew up in a home with godly parents, godly father, godly mother, uh, who God has graciously still allowed me to have. 
And so I had a good church that I grew up in. Uh, but yet it was not until I was about the age of 20 as a youth intern uh, serving with Keith, who is our worship leader now. Uh, when I became his youth intern, he had hair. Um, a couple of years of working with me, he lost all of his hair. Um, but I was about 20 years old at a youth camp uh, that we had taken a very large youth group to, about 125 students or so. Um, it was not my first meeting with Mike Curry, who was preaching that week, but it would be one of the most profound uh, teachings that affected my life. He brought two chairs up onto the stage. Those of you who have not had the privilege of hearing Mike Curry, I can assure you it is a privilege to hear him preach the gospel. It is saturated with grace, unlike I had ever heard preached before. But as he brought these two chairs up, he wanted to speak to the believers in the room. And he said, if I told you that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to have a meeting with you, and he was sitting in one chair, and he wanted you to sit in the other chair, what would you think the meeting would be about? I am 20 years old, uh, doing my very best with a limited amount of knowledge, aware of God's holiness as much as I could be at 20, aware of what it meant to be obedient to the Lord, though I had failed miserably uh, time and time again, but aware of His holiness, aware of the call to be obedient, and aware in some academic way of God's love. In a lab kind of love, in a laboratory kind of what love means. Kind of like a two plus two equals four. I understood what it meant to be loved by God in that sense. But when Curry asked that question, with about, I don't know, a thousand students in the room, I was probably doing what most other adults in the room were doing and other students in the room who were believers. And I was listing all of the things that he wanted to talk to me about. Amen? And, and I had that list. Um, and it was lengthy. And yet, while I'm still making my list, Mike interrupted my world and would go on to preach about what if God just wanted to say that he loved you. Have you ever thought that maybe God would just want to have you in a chair just so he could look at you, his child who he purchased with his own blood, and just look at you and say, I just want you to know that I love you. And that washed over me as a young minister in a way that I had never experienced before. And then he would preach about the love of God. He would preach about what the cross meant and what God had purchased through Christ. And that began a journey for me as pastor and author and theologian and somewhat controversial Brendan Manning would eventually say in a very similar experience to himself, he would say this, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And yet I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. 
He would go on to say the revolutionary thinking that God loves me as I am and not as I should be requires radical rethinking and profound emotional readjustment. The love of God displayed in Christ, displayed through Christ. Nothing is like the love of God. And as a church, we have spent a great deal of time of preaching on the holiness of God, which we should do, and which is a lost concept in the church today. And yet we, if we're going to be biblically accurate, if we're going to truly give out the gospel, we should equally preach about the love of God for his people. Paul, in this passage, prays for the believers at Ephesus. And there is much to preach on in that chapter. And if Lucas, one of our other pastors, has his way, we will soon preach through the book of Ephesians again. He's a little frustrated that we chose Corinthians. He gave his frustration very briefly and on the border. He wanted us to do Ephesians. We went with 1 Corinthians. He's a little upset about that still. But I can assure you we will eventually work our way through the book of Ephesians. But nevertheless, in this, one of the things we see is Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus to understand that they are grounded in the love of God through faith and that they should be strengthened as a Christian through the Holy Spirit by his power in this love and that they should view and ponder and meditate and comprehend on God's love displayed displayed to them through Christ. In fact, he says to grow in the fullness of God to grow in maturity, to grow in holiness is, part of it is, to begin to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. And yet I would dare say that most of us, if you're at all like me, which is scary, but if you're at all like me, you have probably, in your faith, spent a lot of time pondering about how he, how much he loves us, or you probably have not spent much time pondering how much he loves us, but maybe you spent more time pondering why would he love us, or how could he love us. And those are good meditations, for sure. But how long has it been since you pondered and meditated on how much God loves you? How would you as a believer, even describe to someone else the depth of God's love for you? Like, like what measuring stick would you use? Like, what algebra, God forbid, I hate it, but what algebra formula would you use to try to show how much God loves you? What, what analogy would you use? What would you compare it with? I mean, maybe you've had a mom who loved you well. So that's Mother's Day. You should be thankful for that. So celebrate that. Lavish praise on her. But let me assure you, no matter how well your mother has loved you, her love does not compare in any way, shape, form, or fashion with the way God loves you. Maybe you had a great dad. 
It's good. But I can assure you, your dad's love for you does not compare with God's love for you. Maybe you didn't have either. Maybe you grew up without a loving family. Well, good news. God loves you. Maybe your spouse loves you better than you could ever dream. I have that privilege. Privilege. Uh, I wake up every morning surprised she's still in the bed. I'll be honest with you. can't believe she hasn't snuck off in the middle of the night and just said, that's it for me. But she has not. Like, if that ever happened, I'd be like, I get it. I totally get it. And trust me, you who know me well would say, you didn't really not see this coming, did you? <laughs> she loves me well. And maybe your spouse sacrifices for you even more than your mother or father did. And that's great. But I can assure you, it is a drop in the bucket compared to how much God loves you in Christ. So Paul calls the believers in Ephesus to comprehend the depth of his love, to lay hold of this truth, to take it deeply within and to saturate themselves with this knowledge. Because truly comprehending God's love never ever leaves you where you are when you begin to comprehend it. It always moves you, it transforms you, and it stirs up worship in you for our great Phil Yancey said that sociologists have a theory called the looking glass self. The argument is you become what the most important person in your life, wife, father, boss, etc., thinks you are. How would your life change? He asked. If we truly believed the Bible's astounding words about God's love for me. What if we truly looked in the mirror and we saw what God sees? So I just want to take a quick tour of Scripture to remind us of what God's love displayed in and through Christ looks like. If you grew up in the church, these should be familiar to you, which is probably the greatest danger for you, right? That you've heard it for such a long time, and yet we have not let it wash over us. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever or have everlasting life or eternal life. God looks down upon the world much as Jesus, God with flesh on, looks at the sheep and says he has compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. He looks upon the world and he loves them, so much so that he sends his only begotten son to die for them. It's a good view of God's love. In John 15, 13, it says it this way. Greater love has no one, Jesus says, than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's love. Romans 5, 8 says it this way, but God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To lay down your life for someone who is actively sinning against you is a different kind of love that we are not familiar with. But that's God's love. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, familiar text if you've attended this church long. The Apostle Paul says this, For our sake, whose sake? Ours. <laughs> 
For our sake, he made him to be sin, Christ, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you just ponder that for a moment? God takes on your sin in Christ. And he transfers to you his righteousness. That's love, folks. That's love. I'm going to take everything that is disgusting about you. Every sinful thought, every sinful action. I'm going to take it upon myself on the cross. And in what happens on the cross and in the resurrection of the cross, what's going to happen is I'm going to transfer to you my righteousness. I'm not just going to say, I'm not just going to say that you've been forgiven. I'm going to say not guilty anymore. Are we awake? He didn't just forgive you at the cross. God looks at you and he sees the blood of Christ and he says not guilty. Not guilty. And in 1 John 3, 1, in another stunning passage, It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Once an enemy of the cross, once an enemy of God, once the wrath set upon us, but in Christ, for those who believe, we are brought into his family. He makes you one of his children, and that is love. It's a great view of God's love. Don't move past that verse too quickly. The longer you've been in church, the longer you've been a Christian, you're more prone to move past this very, very quickly. I want you to ponder this. Listen to it. Let it wash over you. You, because of the Father's love for you, are called children of God. I can love you enough to adopt you into my family, but I have no power to adopt you into God's family. But God does. For those who believe, He has. Then He makes sure, because He knows us, He knows our hearts, and then we're prone to wonder, and He knows what we're capable of. Then He says this in Romans chapter 8, inspires Paul, and He says this Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we heard that in our older reading. Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. People who believe in the Lord are killed for their faith. But even that does not separate them from the love of God. And he goes on, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My wife loves me really well, but death will separate me from her love at some point. Nothing, however, nothing can separate me from God's love. In fact, not only does death not separate from me from Him, it actually unites me to Him even more so. That's His love for us. And I think it's interesting that in this 
passage in Romans, we find the words height and depth. Do you know why height or depth cannot separate a true believer from God's love? Because his love is higher, his love is deeper, and it cannot be measured. Are you getting a better picture of what this means? One of the mandates of the church, one of the goals of the gathering, one of the goals of singing, one of the goals of preaching, is that you would find or hear, maybe for the first time, of God's love for you and be forever changed. For the believers in here, it should cause you to savor God. To be stirred up in remembrance, to be overwhelmed, to be shaken by God's love for you through Christ. Nothing compares to it. And nothing can supersede it. To begin to comprehend that is to be overwhelmed. That is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus loves you. As you are. Not as you should be. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say clean up a little bit? And then I'll love you. But instead he said, right now, actively sinning against me. Before you knew Christ, you had no desire for holiness. You, you cared nothing about the things of God. And in that very moment, God loved you. I'm glad I didn't say God loved y'all. Right? Because I'm like, I get why I'm included in y'all because, you know, rhyme with covens in y'all. You know, I'm glad I didn't say that. God loves you. Me. And here's what's really dangerous for us. I, I love theology. You should love theology. You should love doctrine. Doctrine is important to the church. You should know why we believe what we believe. We should proclaim what we believe, and you should have doctrine. But I want to warn you, it is, it is easy to get lost in doctrine and to get lost in all these deep, profound truths and yet miss the very thing we all sing as kids. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because you can have all the other stuff and be me at 20 years old leading students all of the knowledge that I could possibly thought I could have at 20, which wasn't a lot, but yet be overwhelmed that what Jesus really wants to say to me is that he loves me. It is good news. The gospel is good news. So here it is again. We do it every week. It's good for us to hear and be reminded of the gospel. That you were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin really well all by yourself. And that sin separated us from a holy, holy, holy God. And there was no way for you to be brought back into a right relationship unless God loves you. In Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, because of his love for you, sends Christ his only son, to take your punishment that you richly deserve, he takes it for you on the cross, and for those who believe, who repent and believe, are brought back into a right relationship with God because their sin goes to Jesus, and Jesus gives us his righteousness. And that is good news.
So I would say, oh, sinner, those of you who have never put your faith in Christ, awake. Hear the words of the Lord. If you have ears, may you be able to hear by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I proclaim to you that God would bring to life what has been dead. And that you would be arrested in some way by the love of God. That you would repent and believe. And that you would begin this journey that Paul speaks to in Ephesians chapter 3. Of comprehending how high and how deep is the love of God. Remember the song, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You know what that fountain's about? God's love for you. God's love for you. And I believe that if you claim that you love God and that you are a believer in Christ, then you would clearly hear the words of the very Savior that you love. In John chapter 14, verse 15, where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's the deal. If you believe in the gospel, if you would proclaim that you are a Christian, your life will never be the same again. Because when you are loved by the love of God, when you understand the love of God, when you have the love of God flowing into you, your life is changed forever. You may not be perfect, but you will be different. From now on. I hope and pray. That our church would all. Be about in our preaching. And our singing. About comprehending this love. That in our fellowships. And our gathering as believers. And community. As our singing. And our mutual accountability. With one another. Our preaching. And our teaching of God's word. That when we gather. We would be freshly reminded. Of God's love. For us. Displayed. In Christ, because you can't comprehend this love and not grow in maturity. And to grow in maturity, believer, to grow in maturity, believer, is to shake away the sins that so easily entangle us and to run to maturity in Christ, to joyfully obey Christ. Nothing is better than the love of God displayed in Christ, and nothing shakes us like comprehending the love of God, and nothing is sweeter. Than the love of God, which I think is what the psalmist had in mind in Psalm 84, 10, when he said, Better it is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere because of the love of God. As Keith comes to lead us in worship, I would remind you that you do not need to come take my hand. I'd be happy to chat with you. Now or at the end of service or any time during the week, you don't have to take my hand or repeat a certain set of words to come to know Christ. We don't only do very many invitations here. What I would remind you of is what the Bible says. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. I believe that if you are sincere, God will save you and rescue you and give you a new heart, a new life. You'll never be the same again. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that I myself would be overwhelmed by trying to comprehend your love for me. That you would love me as I am and all my failures, my immaturities, my lack of understanding you, 
my failure to study or pray as much as I should, but you and all of that, that you loved me. Lord, I pray that every believer in here would lead the day, no matter what I've done with this sermon or how maybe confusing or whatever it might have been, Lord, God, that you would, by your power of your Holy Spirit, convey to them how much you love them. God, they'd be washed and saturated in them. That it would flow over them. Whatever situation they are struggling with, whatever relationship they are struggling with, whatever place they are looking for love, whatever is going on, Lord, that you would let them know that there's no love like yours. God, that you love them right now or out there. I pray your Holy Spirit would stir them to worship you, to repentance, to a life worthy of the gospel. We love you and thank you. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen.